Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Revelation 10. Uh, That's where we'll be in, in our actual copy of the Bible. I've given you a handout that has the chapters 8 and 9 and then chapters 15 and 16 on them. Um, because we're actually going to cover s- kind of six chapters of Revelation tonight, but I'm not going to read all of that. Um, just to f- remind you where we've been, um, we saw that John is writing to seven churches, um, and he's kind of showing them um, pictures of what's going on behind the scenes. He's pulling back the curtain. And so he showed them first that God is on the throne and that Jesus has taken control of history. He's in control. And then he opened a seal. He opened a a, a scroll with seven seals on it. Those seven seals, I said, were the course of human history as it relates to um, the persecuted church. That the church is being attacked um, by physical persecution, by, um, by oppression, and then by just the things that kill all of us. Death and, and taxes, if you will, um, concluded with the with the saints crying out, "How long until you save us from this?" And then we saw the great day of the wrath of the Lamb come and save them. Um, as I've said, this whole study, I think Revelation takes place in cycles that is showing the same amount of time over and over. And so we move into um, we're actually covering two of those tonight. Um, it, Revelation 8 and uh, through 11 is one of those cycles, and then Revelation 15 and 16 is one of those cycles. Um, but, but I want to show you how I think they, 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 they kind of show the same amount of time in a lot of ways. Um, the, six, the seven seals were primarily about the persecuted church. Um, the, the trumpets and bowls, which are also going to be seven judgments, uh, are more about the persecutor. The seals were regarding the persecuted The trumpets and bowls are about the persecutor. Um, The trumpets and bowls are trying to get the attention of those who are against God's kingdom and get them to repent. Call them to repent. Um, So we're covering six chapters. I'm going to focus our time in 10 through 11, but we have to read the, we have to work through 8, 9, and 15, and 16 to get there. So you have that handout. Um, Go ahead and flip to that. Um, The trumpets and bowls. These are two sets of judgments. Trumpets are chapters 8 through 11, technically. Um, chapter, and then the bowls are chapters 15 and 16. Um, the trumpets and bowls are very similar to the plagues in Exodus. So you remember the story in Exodus. Um, the people of Israel are in captivity in Egypt. They're being oppressed. They've been there for a long time. And um, God sends Moses... And Moses comes, and um, he's told to go and get them out. 
So he comes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. And um, so God starts sending plagues on Egypt so that, to get Pharaoh's attention. He um, sends those plagues. And after each of those plagues, Moses goes and he asks Pharaoh, set the people free. Set them free. And Pharaoh continues to refuse. So you have the first five plagues. And after each one of them, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart to God. He, he put up a wall. He closed himself off to God. He rejected. He hardened his heart. Plague 6 through 10, Pharaoh hits a certain point where he's no longer even, you know, he's built up so much of a wall, he's not even going to repent. So God begins to harden his heart. He, he, he begins to do that. It starts saying the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, Pharaoh finally does let them go after the 10th plague. Um, but as we know, they, they get out, and Pharaoh decides, no, let's just go kill him. So they chase after him. Um, they, they, they go out to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. He brings his people to, through it to safety, and he obliterates the Egyptian army. The people of God are with their God and free from oppression in Egypt. And Pharaoh had multiple opportunities to repent, and he rejected every single one of them. So keep that story in the back of your mind. Um, the trumpets and bowls, trumpets are the left column of your hand up, bowls are the right column. Um, they're very similar to those plagues that are sent on Egypt. Many of them are actually the exact same thing that is sent on Egypt. Um, you see the first trumpet, um, that's going to be the second little box there on the left. The first trumpet, what is it? It's hail. Um, that was the seventh plague on Egypt. You see the second and third ones, just jump down, just, we're going to fly through there quick. Second and third judgments are both water turned to blood. That happened. That was the first plague on Egypt. The fourth trumpet um, is darkness. It's on page two or the back of page one. Um, the fourth trumpet is um, the sun is struck and, and it goes dark. Um, it's darkened in the area. The, f the fifth one has to do with um, locust. Locust were the eighth. Um, there, there's darkness as well. The, the, the eighth and ninth plague were locust and darkness. The sixth trumpet um, doesn't actually connect. It's the only one that doesn't connect with the plagues of Moses. Um, the seventh trumpet, which actually doesn't happen until chapter 11, which we will get to in a little bit, um, it, it, it's almost word for word Exodus 19, 16 through 19, which we'll get to in a minute. But there's also a hail within that, so that's, of course, again, one of the plagues. Now jump to the bowls. Flip back through there. So that's, this is column, the second column. These are the bowls. First bowl, what is it? Well, it's, it's harmful and painful sores that come upon the people. Um, that was the sixth plague of Egypt. Second and third bowl, what is it? Well, it's once again, water turned into blood. Again, the first plague. The fourth bowl, again, it's the um, sun being attacked, fire, heat comes from the sky and scorches the people. That was the seventh plague. The fifth bowl is darkness. Once again, the ninth plague. The sixth bowl is the Euphrates River dries up, which we'll get to that in a minute, but what, what happens when it dries up? 
Well, I, verse 13, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Well, frogs were one of the ten plagues on Egypt. It was the second plague. All of these are pulling from the seven, from the ten plagues on Egypt. And then we get to 17 through 21, the, the seventh bowl. Flip over, uh, I think it's the fourth page. Um, the, the seventh bowl poured out. I want you to hear the echo of Exodus 19. So I'm going to read 17 through 21, and then I'll jump over to Exodus 19. The, this, the, the, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had, not, had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath and every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe all right hear that now hear Exodus 19 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, this is, so this is after they've passed through the Red Sea, they've gone through the wilderness, they get to Mount Sinai, Moses is going to go up and meet with God. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and, and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder, and louder Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. So, so you see there um, that there's flashes of lightning, rumblings, thunder, a great earthquake, loud cries from heaven, it is done. We see the same kind of image if you jump over the other column, which we're going to get to in a minute, in the seventh trumpet. Almost exact same phrases are used there. Flash, verse 19, flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Same words, same thing happens here. So why does all that matter? Well, I, I think these judgments are telling the exact same thing. I think the trumpets and the bowls are the exact same thing. Because uh, you can skim through them later, but, but just take a look at what they do, what, what, they, what happens in them. The first, um, the, the first bowl and the first trumpet all bo both happen on, upon the earth. It happens upon the earth. The second trumpet and the second bowl happen on the sea. The third trumpet and the third bowl happen to the rivers and the springs. The fourth bowl affects the sun. The fourth trumpet and the fourth bowl affect the sun. The fifth trumpet and the fifth bowl both have to do with darkness. The sixth trumpet and the sixth bowl both affect the Euphrates River. Something happens with the Euphrates River. 
And then the seventh bowl, as we just saw, both have flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and hail. Same, same things happen. They're meant to be seen as the exact same thing, in my opinion. They're different in who they affect, but they seem to be the same judgment played over and over. Notice the trumpets, not every time, but they primarily affect creation. They primarily are poured out upon creation. The bowls, not every time, but primarily affect the people on the creation. It affects the people that have the mark of the beast. God is using, he's sending these plagues just as he did to Pharaoh to call people to repent. To call people to turn back away from their sin, repent, and come to him. God's going to send these plagues to the earth to call people to repent. For some people, these plagues are trumpets telling them, repent of your sins. Chapter 8, verse 13, it calls out to repent. Um, let me read that verse exactly, just so I'm not misquoting that. Yeah, so, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly over. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In other words, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on here. Listen to the call of the trumpet. Uh, don't, don't, don't ignore it. For other people, so for one group of people, the plagues are trumpets calling people to repent. For other people, these plagues are bowls being poured out as judgment on them. Because they have, they have like Pharaoh, reached that moment where they're not going to turn back. And so the judgment just goes ahead and begins. The, the refrain in these chapters, look at them. Chapter 9, verse 20. I have all but completely mixed up my papers. Chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Chapter 9, 21. Nor did they repent of their murders or of their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or of their theft. Look at chapter 15, verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. And then chapter 15, verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. Constantly it's saying they did not repent. There's seven of each of these, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Remember, seven in Revelation, as we've seen over and over and over, represents completion, the full span of all things. These are not necessarily, in, in uh, how I read Revelation, we're, we're completely free to disagree on this. Uh, I don't see these as seven specific judgments that will be poured out, but more symbolic of all judgments that are poured out in this way. Um, they are representative of all calamity that comes on the world as God calls sinful man to repent. It's no question to me that COVID-19 falls in these judgments. Some of the measures um, that, that have been taken this year by people are absolutely insane. Have you seen California's Thanksgiving restrictions? You, has that popped up to you? Um, that for Thanksgiving, they're only allowing three households together. So if a family comes together to celebrate Thanksgiving, only three households can legally be present. Okay, w with Adrian's family, w one of us is out. 
because there's Adrian's mom and, and stepfather, me and Adrian, her brother and his family, and her sister and her, and, and her sister's boyfriend. One of us has to not come if we're in California. It must be outside. Mask must be worn at all times, except when putting food into your mouth. So, and the gathering cannot last more than two hours. That's the restrictions for Thanksgiving in California. Um, Kentucky just released theirs um, a, a couple days ago while we were there. Um, two families are allowed at Thanksgiving and no more than eight people total. You know, some people say this is the government trying to control us. Maybe it is. But, but more than that, I think all this stuff is the clear arrogance of the American people who have such advanced technology that, 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 that they can do anything they want. They actually think they're going to stop death from happening altogether. That somehow we're going to just, you know, flip a switch. Nobody's going to die anymore, ever. It doesn't matter how much technology we have, we're all going to die. They have not invented anything yet to prevent everyone from dying, and they never will. You know, if it's God's will that you're going to die of COVID, if that's how he wrote in your book long ago, as Scripture says, he numbered our days, if, if, if the way he has for you to die is to die by COVID, it doesn't matter how much you follow the restrictions, he'll bring it through the air all the way into your house and you'll get it and die. But if he doesn't have for you to die by COVID, you're safe. You're safe. For some, COVID-19 is a trumpet calling out to the godless world, repent putting them face-to-face -face with their own mortality, which in America, you don't have to do very much. It used to be a hundred years ago, you know, all generations lived in the house together, so the kids saw the great-grandparents die and often heard it in the bedroom, you know, like right through the wall. Today, we've, we've so brought death and put it into the hospital that, that often kids never see someone die. They don't see that. And so very rarely are they face-to-face -face with their own mortality. Very rarely. This might be a trumpet crying out to people, you're going to die. Get right with God before that happens. For others, COVID-19 is a bowl. They've had enough chances to repent. They're never going to, and God knows that. They've hardened their heart to God enough times. Now it's time for judgment to play its course. History is going to play out exactly like the Exodus did. God's people are being oppressed by persecutors. For the churches in Revelation, it was the Roman Empire um, and the Jewish nation. For today's church, it's radical Islam. It's the God-hating political movements in America. It's secularism. It's so many things encompassed in all of those. that They seek to oppress the church, and God won't have it. So he will pour out calamity on the world so that those people might see and repent or be judged. And the more and more they refuse, the harder their hearts will get. And there will come a day that the end comes. God will rescue his people out of Egypt and obliterate the Egyptians. It will happen. We turn now to that final moment. So go ahead, Revelation 10. Um, if you remember, 
when we looked at the seven seals, there was an interlude between seal six and seal seven. The, the lamb opened seal one, seal two, seal three, four, five, and six, and then it paused, and it had like a chapter and a half of explaining something else, and then all of a sudden, it explained the opening of the seventh seal. It does that with the trumpets as well. Um, six of them are blown, and then it pauses. And notice where the sixth judgment leaves you. Look at um, uh, chapter 9. Um, release, it says, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Remember, that's the same as the sixth bowl. The Euphrates River dries up. And it says in 16 there, let me just read it so I don't get tongue-tied. Um, I have lost my place. Here we go. Um, the great river Euphrates and its water dries up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, the frogs, they prepare the way for the, the kings from the east. Verse 16, they assembled them at the place that is in Hebrew called Armageddon. So the river of Euphrates dries up. All the kings come through that river. They come to Armageddon for a battle, which we won't get to for a couple weeks. But they come to Armageddon. That's where they're at when we get to chapter 10 as well, because we saw that the sixth trumpet and the sixth bowl are, are the same thing. Armageddon is a place in the Middle East. You can go there today. Um, a lot of times if you go on a tour of Israel, they'll take you to Armageddon. Um, the, the Hebrew word is Har-Megiddo. Um, Har means mountain. It's, it's often described as a valley, and there is a valley there, but it's also a mountain. Um, the imagery of Armageddon in Revelation pulls from Ezekiel 38 and 39. It foretells of a day of final conflict when the kings of the earth will assemble together to try to defeat the Lord in battle. And they will lose miserably. We've often called that the battle of Armageddon. So let's look at where the sixth trumpet leads us, this interlude. So chapter 10, verse 1. I'm going to read chapter 10. I'll come back and read chapter 11 in a minute. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. When the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write... But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven trumpets have said, the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there that there would be no more delay, but that in the day of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets." Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to this angel, and I took him, and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat. It, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. 
It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. I got to be honest, this is the most confusing chapter in, Re in Revelation for me. I'm really unsure how it ties to the rest of the book. Um, it's probably the case with a lot of people, because as I studied for this sermon, I didn't find any commentator who knew what this was talking about. All of them had some kind of nuggets to throw in there, but they didn't really know what was going on here. Um, if you ever read the Left Behind novels, they don't even deal with chapter 10 as they tell the story of Revelation in their fiction. Um, they, they just skip over chapter 10. Um, it's one or two things, the best I can tell. Um, the, the first is that it's either like a second, a second commissioning of John to write. You remember back in chapter 1, Jesus commissioned him to write. Um, this idea comes from the fact that it's straight out of Ezekiel. Um, in Ezekiel 3, God tells Ezekiel to eat a scroll like this as part of his commissioning to be a prophet. Um, so it's possible that. Secondly, it's possibly the gospel message. John eats it, and it tastes sweet, but it's going to give his stomach an ache. Um, it's going to bring about persecution. Chapter 11 is going to lay out that persecution that comes on the church. And so it's one of those two things, best I can tell. Um, this is one of those moments where I have to tell you, I don't know what this passage means. And sometimes we got to do that. Um, I've got the passage on my side there because of verse 4. Take a look. The seven thunders sounded, and I was about to write, but I heard the voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and don't write it. I, I just feel like that's John. He was about to explain what this passage means, and then God said, Don't do it. Just, just seal it up. And so some, sometimes we, we read the book of Revelation, and we just have to be honest that we don't know what this particular passage is talking about. Uh, but let's go with the picture that it's the, that, that, that it's the gospel message. Let, let, let's go with that. That the church is supposed to proclaim the gospel message in the face of opposition. And John is commissioned with that. And then we're going to see that happen in chapter 11. Um, so chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is to be given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Um, John is told to go measure the temple and set it apart. What's that about? Um, because in John's day... Depending when you think this book was written, some people see it as written in the 60s. Some, most people say it's written in the 90s. There's no temple in the 90s. Um, it's one of the reasons that people think it's written in the 60s, because there was still a temple at that point. There's no temple in the 90s. It's been destroyed. So he's told to go measure a temple. Well, it continues to pull from Ezekiel. Um, if you ever read the book of Ezekiel, it, it's really good chapters 1 through 39. It's just beautiful. And then you get to chapter 40, and chapters 40 through 48 are literally nine chapters telling how a temple is set up. It's like those passages in the Old Testament where it's like measuring of the, of the tabernacle and all that stuff. That goes on for nine chapters in Ezekiel at the end. 
It's, it's coming from that idea here where, where John is told, measure the temple. Um, there's kind of two views on, on what this is talking about. First is that this is a, this is a third temple that will be built during the end times. Um, so you had the first temple that Solomon built. You had the second temple. They, they, they went into exile. They came back. Zerubbabel built a second temple. It got destroyed in 70 AD. Some people think there will be a third temple built in the end times. Other people would say this is a symbol of the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Um, I hold to the second one. I think John is doing exactly what he did in chapter 7. This is the interlude between, chapter, uh, between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. The, in the six seals, he poured out the, the sixth, he opened the sixth seal. Then we had that chapter where it lays out the, the great multitude, sealed, protected from the judgment. And then after the judgment has been protected, after they've been protected from judgment, the seventh seal gets open and judgment is complete. I think that's what's happening here. We've had the six trumpets poured out. The seventh trumpet is about to happen, which is the second coming of Jesus. Before that happens, John is told, go measure the temple. Go set the people of God apart so that the judgments aren't poured out on them. The, the, the church is being sealed and protected from judgment coming on the world. The regular New Testament teaching is that the church is the new temple. Ephesians 2 19 through 22, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The whole point of the book of Hebrews is we don't need the temple anymore because Jesus has saved us and done away with the temple. And we are now a temple. And so uh, I don't think there has to be another temple. Christ did away with it with His death. There's actually Christians out there who, who donate large sums of money to help Israeli people build a new temple and I, I just think that's blasphemous. Why would we give money so the Jewish people could rebuild a temple that Christ did away with? Like, wh why would we do that? Outside of this temple is given over to the nations. They're going to trample it for 42 months. Um, we're going to get into the 42 months next week, so you've got to come back for that one. Um, the, the 42 months has developed a lot more in chapters 12 through 14, which will be next week. Um, we come now to verses, verse 3, come to two characters that are a big part of Revelation. Um, verse 3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he was doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of the prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood, to strike the earth 
with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed into tombs. And, who, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been tor- had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. We come to the two witnesses. Um, They prophesy for 1,260 days, roughly 42 months. Again, we'll get to that next week. Um, They prophesy for 1,260 days. Many, who, who are these guys? Many see these two preachers as people who will arise in the final years of history. Some say they will actually be Moses and Elijah come to earth from heaven. Or some will say Elijah and Enoch, because Elijah and Enoch are the two characters in the Old Testament that did not die. Both of them were taken to heaven um, without dying. Um, Most people would say Moses and Elijah, because I think you see both of their symbolism from both of them in what they do. Um, Who are they? Well, take a look at verse 4. It says they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. That comes from Zechariah 4. Let me flip there really quick. I want to read the actual verse. Zechariah 4, 3. Um, 4, 2, I'm sorry. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, and the other on the left. So Zechariah has this vision. John pulls from that vision, puts it here. Um, he says there's two, the, 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 there's two olive trees and two lampstands. It's the same vision that was used actually in chapter 1. John, same, same Old Testament passage. John uses it in, in chapter 1. Um, Verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, um, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we see lampstands here, we saw lampstands there. John told us there the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Um... In that passage, the, the lampstands represented the church that they did. Um, the, these two lampstands here, um, many would say they represent the church because we've already been given that, key, that answer key in Revelation. What do they do, verses 5 and 6? 
Well, you see that they can call fire from their mouth. Same thing Elijah was able to do, call fire from heaven and kill the prophets of Baal. Um, they can shut the sky so that it does not rain. Again, Elijah did that. Um, he caused it to not rain for three years, three and a half years. He can turn wa- they can turn water to blood, and they can strike people with plague. Moses did that. Um, it's just this thing. They do the same ministry Moses and Elijah did. What did Moses do? Moses um, went up against Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Elijah faced off against, um, um, wow, my mind is blanking. Who did Elijah face off against? Um, help me out. I just preached this this year. Uh Jezebel and Ahab. Jezebel and Ahab. There we go. Elijah faced off against Ahab and Jezebel. Um, kind of the same kind of figure in the Old Testament that Pharaoh was. They, um, they, they do the same kind of ministry that Moses and Elijah did. We see their death. Verses 7 through 10. They finish their testimony. It will not be cut short. They will finish it. They will do their job. The beast will kill them. It's interesting. John just kind of mentions the beast that rises up out of the sea. You're not going to learn about the beast until chapter 13. And so if I'm just reading Revelation, I'm a first century Christian. I get to that part and I'm like, who's that? I don't know. But he's going to explain him again next week. Um, They lie dead in the street for three and a half days. In a very bad city, some say it's referencing Jerusalem. Maybe it is. It says it's where their Lord was crucified. Um, It does say Sodom and Egypt. Um, And so it's bringing together Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, Egypt in Exodus, and then Jerusalem at the time Jesus was killed. Three very bad cities all put into one here. So maybe it's referencing Jerusalem. Maybe it's just referencing this is a really bad place. Um, but, but, But they are killed there. And the people rejoice over it. They have a party. They have a holiday. They, they have Christmas. They give each other gifts because these two prophets are dead. They are destroyed from the earth. We don't have to deal with these people anymore. Let's celebrate. They have fun and they live it up. And then time runs out. The people rejoice that there are no more witnesses. Um, I, don't, I think I missed covering because I've been wondering where it is the whole time. Um, some people see this as, as preachers who will prophesy at the end times. Others see this as symbolic of the church. Maybe both of those will be the case, but, but I'm going from the idea that this is symbolic of the church. Um, so, so um, actually, I didn't miss that. It's right here in my notes. Wow, okay. I'm just off tonight. Um, people rejoice that these people are killed, and then time runs out. So who are they? Um, the, it, I don't know where I'm at. Okay. <laughs> um, when we get to their death, what happens? Well, it's, um, some say it's generally symbolic for the first century Christians to know that even when their loved ones are dragged off and killed, they're still going to be raised. So do not fear. Because the church will finish their testimony. Although many are killed, they will not be dead for long. They prophesy for three and a half years. They're only dead three and a half days. They prophesy for a long time. They're only dead for a short time. Or it could be telling of a specific thing that happens at the end. The church fulfills the Great Commission, finishes her testimony, and the beast all but wipes them off the planet. But not for long. 
we don't really know which one, um, and, and I don't really have one that I would land on on that. But we get to verse 11, and the final day comes. They're dead in the streets. The breath of life enters them, and they stood to their feet, and great fear fell on all. They, they go up to heaven, and then there's a great earthquake, and it just decimates the people. Ten, seven thousand people killed there. A tenth of the city was destroyed. The church relives the story of Jesus right here. They bear witness for three and a half years. They're killed and dead for three and a half days. They rise and ascend to heaven. The, the, as we're going to lead into verse 15 here, this is where the second coming happens. The, there's a great earthquake. Notice that happens in chapter 8, verse 6. Um, when, when the seventh seal was opened, um, when the second coming comes there, there's an earthquake in verse 6, an earthquake um, of 1119. Just a few verses later where we're at. Um, when, when the seventh trumpet is blown, there's an earthquake. And then verse chapter 16, verse 18. When the seventh bowl is poured out, there's an earthquake. It's this earthquake that's happening. It's, it's the second coming that we have arrived at. The, the church is resurrected and the enemies of God are destroyed. Then we move into the seventh trumpet, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyer of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and heavy hail." All the armies of the earth are at Armageddon waiting to fight the Lord. Um, so arrogant they think that they can actually defeat the God of the universe. Um, I'd say that's shocking, but I look around at the nations of our world, including our own, and that arrogance is alive and well. Um, the slain church is called up to the clouds. The final judgment is poured out, and then we get to that bowl, and it is just destructive. Um, the, the seventh trumpet, jump over to the seventh bowl, 16. Just listen to the destruction. Flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, a great earthquake. There had never been an earthquake like this since the world began. The great city was split in three parts. The nations fell. They, 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 every island fled away. Every mountain was gone. Great hailstones. A hundred pound hailstones fell to the earth. And people cursed God because of how severe this plague was. That's what's going on here. It's done it cries out it's done the judgment is finished and it is traumatic utter destruction in every way imaginable nobody's surviving this nobody's making it through this they all had their chance to repent time and time again and they did not and it's over now 
Come back to the Exodus story. Think about Pharaoh and his army. They, they get to the side of the Red Sea. The, the Israelites are going through the Red Sea. Pharaoh sends his army in. Go, go get those people. You know, you got a hundred foot walls of water on both sides of you, but just go on. Go get them. So the armies are so arrogant, they run in after the people of God. And, 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 and it's their destruction. The waters come down on them and destroys them. And the trumpet, look at verse 15 through 19 again. It says, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and the kingdoms of Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. Every kingdom is turned over to Jesus, over to God. It's all done. And the 24 elders praise God. They worship Him. That This happens in the Exodus story as well. They get to the other side at the end of chapter 14. Chapter 15 is just one big worship song they sing, the song of Moses. Praise God that He's a warrior, that He destroyed our enemies. They sing that song. In verse 19, the temple is opened. Same words as 16, 18. The, 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 um, the temple of God is opened in heaven. Um, the, yeah, there were flashes of lightning, same as 16, 18, rumblings, peals of thunder, all that stuff. The temple's open, um, and, and we're at the point of eternity here. The temple of God is open. God is dwelling with man again. That's what we're going to see in 21 and 22. It's all there. God and man dwelling together again. Remember, the story's telling the same story over and over again. In many ways, I'm preaching the same sermon every night as we work our ways through this. The whole thing is pointing to that Exodus story. The plagues, the deliverance, the song of Moses, dwelling with God on Mount Sinai. It's, it's driving home God will deliver His people from the oppression of the evil one. He will do it. So however that oppression comes, we will see it. It may be as big as government opposition, or it may not. It, it, it may simply be you're oppressed by family members who mock you for your faith. It may be your, your co-workers mocking you as you pray over your lunch. It may be our youth being mocked because they come to church at, at school. They're mocked by their classmates. The church will continually be oppressed. So what do we do as that happens? We continue bearing witness as the two witnesses do. We do not stop because our testimony will be finished. Verse 7 of chapter 11. We will finish our testimony. We will. We preach the gospel until our dying breath. And if preaching the gospel is what gets us killed, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I know times are scary right now. Can I encourage you, f fill yourself with the love of the gospel and joy in the gospel and proclaim that gospel everywhere you go to everyone you see because that gospel is our only hope. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in our nation. Our hope is not in any structure of society that we've had set up. Our hope is in that gospel. It's the only thing that's going to last. And so put your hope in that gospel. Let's pray. Father, I come to you. Um, I pray that you would put our hope in the gospel. Lord, it's our only hope. We have no hope apart from Christ. We don't. 
We've never had any hope apart from Christ, though we have often felt like we do. Father, I pray that you would um, embolden us to be faithful witnesses to Christ. Father, I pray that no matter what opposition we meet, we will not stop speaking of what Jesus has done for us. And Father, I pray for those who don't know you, that as things like COVID-19 hit the world, that they would realize their mortality and repent. That they would realize that there is a God in heaven and that they would turn to him. Not harden their heart against him, but turn to him. Father, I pray that you would transform hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember I told you it was quiet this morning? Listen, what do you hear? Nothing, exactly. You're dismissed. (laughs)